Welcome to the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast, where we don't take from insurance companies. Here are your hosts, Mr. Jordan Comstock and Mr. Ben Tuinay. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Say No to PPO podcast series. This is Ben Tuinay and Jordan Comstock. Hey, Jordan. Hey, how you doing, Ben? Great. How are you? Doing good today. Awesome. We <laughs> We have a, a wonderful guest with us today. Actually, a personal friend of mine, Lorraine Guth. Welcome, Lorraine. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hi, George. I'm good. I'm excited to be with you two today. We awesome. are excited to have you. I've, I've worked with you, Lorraine, for a number of years. We both um, have been on the speaking platform together for a number of years. Uh, the last one that we did together was out in Pittsburgh. Actually, it was in Philadelphia, right, with that group there? Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah. That that was a fun one. The thing I love that about your, yeah, the thing I love is you are such a great speaker, a great educator, a great coach and mentor to a lot of my clients too. And for the listeners that don't know Lorraine, I love Lorraine because she focuses on quality care from a different perspective. She focuses on quality care by looking at your practice management systems, looking at the way you deal with your patients helping you separate yourself from the insurance-driven mentality and helping you and your team focus on what the patients need the most. I know that communication is one of those things that are often overlooked in dental practices. And I've learned a lot from Lorraine on how she teaches and coaches doctors on how to really focus on not only just the communication aspect, but the interaction from the patient so that the patient has a wonderful experience. And correct me if I'm wrong, Lorraine, when you do that, that leads the patients into a, a relationship of trust, not only with the dentist, but with the entire team that has a big deal with helping patients accept larger treatment plans. Is that a correct statement? Absolutely true. Uh, if you look at what makes people purchase, especially significant um, unexpected expenses, trust is a key determinant in their decision, whether they acknowledge it or not. It's one of the reasons sometimes you hear people on second opinions will actually uh, make a decision to spend more than the first opinion. It's because it, with the first person, they didn't really have the trust factor, and the second person, they do. Right. You know, it's interesting because um, we do a very unique form of marketing that, that speaks to exactly what you say, where we use name brand institutes, institutes that people trust. Uh, institutes that people recognize and what you naturally see with with that form of marketing which we're not going to talk about here on this call today um, right right people <laughs> then they it tra when you're when you see a name brand logo on your marketing material or at your office that you affiliate with somehow that relationship of trust is transferred to the dentist but if you can establish that trust directly with your patients i believe it goes a long way in encouraging patients to do treatment plans that they don't expect Let's talk first about this whole fee-for-service thing, uh, Lorraine. What does it mean oh. to be fee Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think everybody, like, I, I come across a lot of doctors who even call me that have a complete definition of fee-for-service than their colleague who's practicing next door who also claims <laughs> to be fee-for-service. What does it really mean? What, what, what does that mean, fee-for-service? Well, you know, we can look at it from the insurance side or we can look at it from uh, the patient perspective side. And so I'll give you my definition. You know, fee-for-service is really that you're not participating with any plans or with that particular patient, you're fee-for-service. But I think we have to take this a little bit deeper. You know, if, what is it, 80% uh, of the practices now are participating, Ben? Something to that level? It's above 90 now. <laughs> it's above wow. 90, yeah. okay. And so, in and in some states, uh, the uh, the fee is, is about 60% of what a fee-for-service practice is if you participate. You know, some people are doing 40% write-offs, right? That's right. That's right. And so, you know, really what we're asking is we're saying to a patient, um, if you choose us, we don't participate, but we provide something better or additional for the additional fee that you're paying. And so for patients, um, they expect quality care anywhere they go. I think that we really have to look at, we have to provide the service, the in consistent service standards. Uh, so uh, one way to look at this is um, everybody out there is eating at McDonald's, right? Mm -hmm. So McDonald's is really a quality product if you think about it. 
Love um, it. You, I love McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> I like hash browns. Yeah. <laughs> Look, they're, they're very consistent. McDonald's is consistent anywhere you go, and they've created a structure that allows people to deliver that consistent level of quality, even with teenagers like my kids, which is amazing, you know, and managers that have, have to transition teams. So, you know, they're very clear about their product process, but to me, a fee-for-service provider is more like that fine restaurant that you go to you know, where you get this beautiful experience and where you have a server that really knows how to adapt to the client base in a different way, knows how to sound, move, and function differently, but is within the standards of service. So, you know, you could even tie to like Ritz-Carlton. There's a way I'm going to be greeted at the Ritz-Carlton that is different than the Motel 6. And so, um, you know, I think uh, I heard somebody once say, which, you know, I won't quote their name, but they said everybody wants to be for service they just want the fee they don't want to do the service (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think that's so true it's funny lorraine that i'm not going to name any names but here i live in lehigh utah and we bounce from doctor to doctor to doctor and some offices that we go to some of them don't know me most of them do but some of them that we go to we go and we say we're we're uninsured um, and, and then they go ahead and proceed with treatment. And then I find out that the person that gave me a cleaning was a dental assistant and not the hygienist. And yet we're paying twice. Oh, yes. We're paying twice what a, a normal insurance payment would be for that same service. And yet we're getting the, the watered down PPO service that everybody else seems to be getting. And it's it, kind of it's kind of frustrating, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really difficult, you know, for a t- if you look at the restaurant and the McDonald's, the fine restaurant and the McDonald's example, it's really different for a team to be both. It's a different kind of mission. And so, um, you know, there's a different kind of critical thinking about our product. I'll even tie to the restaurant side again. I was at a restaurant for a family wedding. My brother-in-law wanted a certain kind of beer they didn't have on the menu. And the server acknowledged that they didn't have any. He said, but I'll take care of it for you. He came back later. He bought a beer from the bar across the street. I don't know if it was legal for him to do that wow. to my brother-in-law. I know. He's like, wow, right? <laughs> and so then later when he wanted another round, he said, oh, I'm not going to ask for that because I know you don't have it here. And he said, oh, sir, I anticipated that you might want another. I bought two for you. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's wow, awesome. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's your service. So I think, you know, what I look at is in our practices, if we really want to be fee-for-service, fee we have to work at what our service standards are. We have to train people. You know, if you look at the server in a really high-end restaurant, they have a different level of training, a different level of structure. The whole structure supports that dining event. And so the way we greet people, the way we, uh, the way we go through all of our administrative steps with our patients, you know, how we, how we take them from the reception room to the clinical area. Yeah. Our appearance counts. You know, if you're in a fee-for-service practice, we can't come in with rumpled scrubs looking like we just rolled out of bed. You know, <laughs> we've got to be, we've got to have the whole piece together. And yeah. so, oh, sorry. It, and that requires monitoring. That requires knowing what's being said on the phone. That, that requires training. And I think it's, there's a difference between being friendly and service. Have you ever heard me say this before, Ben? I have, I, I, and I love it, and I agree with you 100%. I think there's, there's, there's a lot more to the patient experience than just the clinical side. Uh, I've, yeah. I've, I've once heard that clinical is just one-seventh of a dental practice, and what you're talking about is the other seventh, you know, the other six areas. <laughs> so what, what happens when we don't have consistent structure in our practice where, where people are functioning in alignment to the vision of the practice and our service standards – then you're relational to whether they're friendly or not. And the person at Motel 6 might be friendly, but they're not going to stand up and greet me like they would at the Ritz. And so, you know, friendly's inconsistent. It's related to an individual an individual team member's perceptions. And, and really, our service standards should be something people study and learn, and they're representative of our organization. Yeah, so, that- that's really cool, I, and I love the analogy uh, of the restaurant. I think that is just a wonderful analogy. Um, and so my question for you is, what is it about the patient experience from the moment we greet them that we need to be looking at differently? That's a great question, um, and, and part of what we know, uh, I want to tie to a particular concept with this, um, how people buy from us. 
So what we know is when people buy from us, first they buy us, you know, or Ben, somebody working with you, they buy you as a person. Do I feel like in the moment that Ben is engaged with me, he has integrity, that he's going to listen to me, that I should be able to trust him, that he's a good human being. The next thing that people judge is, are you clinically competent or Ben, or in your situation, are you competent at what you do? So, but I've got to have both of those things at play. The last detail is the treatment. So if you look at what you do first and last with your patients really matters in that unconscious trust analysis. How you greet a patient when they walk in the practice the first time affects their decision making. So um, it's interesting. I worked with somebody years ago and, and it was the first time I ever had to wear a business suit to work. Um, they were a practice that did comprehensive dentistry, um, which I had not been accustomed to in the same way. And one of the things, first things the doctor taught me is when my patients come in, you will greet them by name and you will stand up and treat them as an honored guest. And I thought he was just being picky. Um, but what I learned is people responded to us differently based on that. And and that wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do, to be tracking that and how you go through it. So so one of the things we want to do is is really, um, I call it eyes up service. You know, and what happens is we get, uh, uh, we become a victim of our computer, you know. So somebody comes in, we don't really acknowledge them that well. We're looking yeah. at the computer and it feels sort of dismissive. And, and I want to let you know, really good people that just get busy and overwhelmed will do this. So, you know, things that we really care about, we'll put attention to. There's also a great way to wow your patients. Just a fantastic way in the greeting process. Um, and, and I will say, this is what I would do if I was a dentist. Not everybody is willing to do this. So what I would do is when the patient comes in the door, Certainly, your administrative person is going to greet them, uh, potentially shake their hand. If there are forms, I'm not going to hand them out over the window. I'm going to walk out to the reception room and give them to them. You know? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's a whole languaging around that. The next step is, again, this is the practice if I were a dentist. I would go out and greet that patient. And what I would do is I might come to them and I might say, uh, let's say, were you, Jordan? I might come to you and put my hand out and say, hello, Jordan, I'm Dr. Fantastic. Welcome to my practice, <laughs> right? Welcome yeah, to my yeah. practice. And you would be stunned right there, right? Oh, I yeah. probably would, yeah. I say, are, are you ready to go? And I would then I would bring you into the uh, clinical area, but I would make sure I had an assistant right there or whoever I was going to pass you off to. And then once I got in that door, I would say, I just wanted to be the first person to say hello and welcome you to my practice. I'd like to introduce you to Janie. Janie is my clinical dental assistant. You're going to love her. She's fantastic. And she's going to help get you started. And then I'll be in the room and we'll have a conversation about what you're looking for. And then I would turn around and say, Janie, would you mind um, getting the blah, 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 diagnostic for me? And then I'll be in to speak with you. Thanks so much for coming in today. Yeah. And at that point, awesome. like, wow, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Lorraine, the interesting thing about that is when I, both you and I do a lot of traveling across the country, so does Jordan. And when we meet with our clients or even when we meet with doctors that are investigating our services, I can almost tell the doctors that you just described, one of which I'll mention to you, um, Dr. Connie Koff, who practices in Virginia Beach. A couple of months ago, I was doing a program down there and he was kind enough to invite me to his country club for an evening dinner. Now, most country club, clubs out there claim to be have this prestige about them, but this was a Cavalier country club um, where a lot of celebrities live, a lot of very well-known um, heirs of different in, uh, uh, industries and businesses live. But when I walked into there, they actually addressed me by name. <laughs> I don't know if he gave them a picture. I walked in and they said, you must be Mr. Tuine. And they pronounced it correctly, and I was so impressed. I walked back, they took me back to the patio area, just over, um, I don't know if it was a lake or an ocean front, uh, but we sat down, it was a beautiful setting. Dr. Konnikov stood up, he shook my hand, um, but you could tell that this doctor has the type of attitude and mentality that you're talking about. He cares about his patients so much that he goes to the extent of even having me, I'm not a patient of his, he's actually a client, but having the country club know and study me, my background, 
I didn't even have to ask them um, what I wanted for the, for dinner. They handed me a menu, and the lady kind of went through the menu with me and said, I, I bet you're more of a steak guy. I was like, wow, how do they know all this <laughs> stuff? And that was not a, an experience in the dental office, but it was a personality experience for me knowing that there are doctors out there that go far above and beyond others in terms of a friendship experience, a client experience, but you can you, you know why they're so successful because when they carry that over to their patient base, it's amazing how that changes their entire experience with their patients. Now, Dr. Konikoff is super, super, super successful. I think out of all the doctors I work with, he's probably in the one half, the half percent category in terms of um, income and success. And I wonder if I wonder if the way he treats people in general as who he is has a lot to do with that. Well, I would imagine you know, so, yeah. Think about what great service is. Great service is listening, right? You yeah. just mm-hmm. described people that, that cared enough to think about what you want and need. And we are so trained in dentistry to tell people what we think and to tell <laughs> them what they need. And, you know, uh, years ago, somebody said to me, really stunned me, nobody cares what you think and nobody cares what you know. They care what they want. They exactly. care what they need care about how they feel. And really, we're supposed to be value-driven in our engagements. You know, one of the phrases I use a lot when I teach people is, it's not what you tell people that counts. As a matter of fact, I think that's completely irrelevant. It's really what matters is what they decide to hear and what they decide to consider important in their decision-making. And when we're engaging with patients, we need to think more about that. What is our patient hearing? What are they considering? How do they feel about this? And that should affect how we distribute knowledge and service. And so that service really um, is about listening. So it's just, it's, 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 it's a trust builder, right? It really is. You know, I got to yeah. something interesting with this too. I've noticed my son has recently been involved in a collegiate prep military school that we're sending him to. And wow. in going, going, it's awesome. This <laughs> child, this kid who, you know, it was a typical typical teenage kid, and, and you know his social skills weren't at a high level. We'll just say. Um, and you go to this campus; these boys, when they walk by and they see an adult, their back is straight. They look, look at them, they nod, they say good morning, good afternoon. They're thoughtful. You know, um, went shopping with my son since he's been there. We're walking out of a store, and I had a bag in my hand, and he said, "Excuse me, mom, you shouldn't have to carry a bag. I'll carry it for you." You know, so, I mean, it's just amazing how we respond to these things. And these, they, you know, they say, ma'am, sir, thank you, please. May I help you? Let me take care of that for you. And, and we all respond well to that. Yeah. And so part of this is, you know, we need to, if you look at just that greeting point, you know, those are, that's the way you greet somebody that you care about. Um, we, should, we should greet every patient like they're a celebrity to us. They're valuable. Yeah. In, in a day and age where there are so many dental practices and there, there's a, a huge increase of the DSOs that are out there that are focusing on these things, um, I, I guess we can't um, we can't speak to how important it is to have great customer service out there. That is just the standard for every business these days is you have to have a real genuine interest in those patients and those patients have to feel and trust how you make them uh, well, well, how you make them feel during that initial um job interview, if you will, as they come in and assess who you are, uh, which leads me to the next question, Lorraine. You, you talk a lot about the needs, wants assessment. Right. I'd like for our listeners to know what that is and, and, and why they should be spending time on that. Can you can you elaborate a little bit more on the needs, wants assessment? Yes. Yeah. So this is the time that you are in the clinical area talking with a patient or for some people in the consultation room before you bring them to the clinical area where it's that first beginning with the patient, you know? And so this is where they're making a lot of assessments about who we are as human beings. So I, I think we have to think about what we're doing there. And one of the mistakes we sometimes make is we get very clinical. In fact, I've watched wonderful people have a list of medical questions or, or clinical questions that they just read off and they're looking at a sheet of paper, you know, and they ask things like, how do you feel about your smile? Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, you know, and so it, it it screams, you are a thing to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think we have to look at what a needs wants assessment is. And so to me, the first thing we're doing is we're trying to create connection, which means we want to have a great introduction, a great hello. It doesn't necessarily mean we need to spend a lot of time talking about their dog or their cat, 
But, you know, you can create connection very quickly with people by being mentally present, by being still with them and, and asking them about what's important to them. One of the questions I like to ask is what brought them in? What brought them here today? Now, one of the mistakes we make sometimes is we make it about the clinical issue that they talk about, right? And so uh, maybe they have a toothache or, or they feel like they don't like their smile, whatever it is. And, and I think that we have to acknowledge that there are emotional needs behind that. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. I remember one time talking to a gentleman on the phone who decided to call to come in for a checkup. Oh, I just need a checkup. And I, and I said, is there any, anything that prompted you to do that? And he said, well, I got dental insurance. You know, well, he'd gotten dental insurance years ago. So there was something else going on, right? Because yeah. <laughs> he didn't call because suddenly he needed a checkup. And, right. and you know, as, as we brought him further through, through the process, we found out there were really some needs. So what brought them here? And I'll give you a little story, a little example of this. Um, I was coaching with one of my clients once, and, and uh, his assistant had seated the patient. He was looking at the x-rays. You know, they'd already taken x-rays. And uh, he was going to go in and talk with the patient. And, and he said, so what should I say? What should I do? And I said, well, why is she here? And he, he just kind of looked, he ran his hand across the x-rays. He said, well, look. And her mouth was bummed out. And I said, okay, I see all that, but why is she here today? And he said, well, because of all this. And I said, but what made her pick up the phone and call you and go sit in your chair? That's what you need to figure out. And his assistant said, well, um, she's getting married, so she wants to get her teeth fixed. He said, see? And I said, okay. I said, but let's acknowledge there might be more to it because this person, and I could tell by the x-rays, I said, has been to dentists in the last few years and not followed through with that commitment. So why don't you find out what really brought her here? And so he went in and he asked more questions and, and talked less because I was standing around the corner helping him. And, and he you know, she went through some of what she wanted uh, clinically. You know, she wanted her mouth to look good, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I know that you have had challenges for a while. You know, I can see that. What makes it important now? Now, because it was hard for him to be quiet, he had to say, is it the wedding? <laughs> Which I had that on there. But yeah. What makes it important now? And it was interesting because she looked at him. I could see her really look at him like she really saw him for a moment. And she put her head down, and she was quiet for a little bit. And she said, then, then she said, and I'll mimic her voice, well, yes, um, but it's more than the pictures. It's more than that. It's, well, my fiancé, he used to have kind of the same situation, and he got it all fixed. And I am a, I'm embarrassed to stand up with this man and get married from when I have this happening and he doesn't. And he understands how I feel, so he told me he would pay for it for me to get my mouth fixed. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? Yeah. That's very powerful. Wow. Yeah. Uh, can, can I talk about football for just a second? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> topic. No. I want to talk about football to relate to what you're talking about, Lorraine. So you see this all the time, and I've actually – I've actually experienced this very issue playing the turkey bowl a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so when a wide receiver is running a route, he turns back, um, quarterback throws the ball to him. A lot of wide receivers, before they even catch the ball, they take their eye off the ball and look at the defender that's coming their way. Do you know what happens almost 100% of the time when that when the wide receiver takes their eyes off the ball, Lorraine? Or Jordan? Well, they I don't. <laughs> they, they, they drop it. They drop the ball. They drop the ball, and the defender could be one foot away, two feet away, ten yards away. But any time, every time the ball is thrown to you, and you don't you don't read the threads, as they say, as the ball comes into your hands, meaning you're not focused on the oh. catch. You're, you're not. Yeah. You're not focusing on the ball all the way to the catch and tuck. You have to focus on the ball all the way to the tuck, meaning you catch it with both hands. And then you tuck it and you secure it. If you do not have your eye on the ball as it's entering your fingers, your hands, you will not catch it. It is so difficult. And the reason why I bring that up is because what you're talking about here with the patient experience and getting to know them, getting them to open up, is that there's so many things that go on in, in the dental practice. The phone ringing, people texting, 
is that oftentimes when you take your eye off the ball or off the patient, patients know that. The patients know that you're, you're not interested in them as much as you should be. And I see a lot and I hear a lot of reviews and read a lot of reviews where a lot of patients just say, I just didn't feel like there was time and attention given to me. And the sad thing, going back to my experience with um, a couple of dentists that I don't know here in Utah that, that we've, we've seen, we, we wanted to try out, is we felt exactly that same way. Even though we were 100% uninsured, we paid full fee, we didn't get the same attention from them as we did with other clients that had a high level of training about what you're talking about. So does it does it make a big difference keeping your eye on the ball all the way through the catch or, or keeping the focus on the patient all the way through to the treatment and beyond? I, I personally think it means a great deal and it's it's you know, lacking in practices these days. I have seen practices and I'm not going to say that everybody this happens to everybody, but I've seen practices go up 20 percent without new patients just because they start taking better care wow. of the people. Yeah, and, yeah that's you know, awesome. You know, I mean, if you're going to get people into more complex care, they've got to believe in you. So so I, I really care about, I love your analogy. I really care about um, reading the threads. Is that what you said? Yep. You got to read the threads through yeah, the Yeah, read the threads. <laughs> All the way yeah. through. That's what brought them in, right? I'm going to steal that. And then, then one of the things I, in the needs once assessment is really asking the patient, what's most important for them to know or have accomplished during the visit? You know, they instead of us telling them all the things we're going to do for them, which they may not even care about, why don't we just say, Ben, you know, wow, you're here, we've got, you're going to be here for about an hour, an hour and a half. We want to make sure that we address your concerns. What's most important for you to know or have accomplished during this visit? And then I want to know, do they have any time constraints that we need to be aware of, whether it's this visit or, or more involved? We don't always ask that question. Um, and then, you know, another thing we should be aware of is how do they like to get information? So as an example, um, you may have noticed this, Ben, I'm, or Jordan, you don't know me that well, but Ben does. I'm a little bit type A. Um, I knew <laughs> a, a good type yeah. A, though. A very good type yeah. A. Yeah, <laughs> a good type A. Yeah. So when somebody goes on and on and on about something that I'm not interested, I really have to focus to pay attention. So I like to say to a patient, you know, whether they're, you know, they might be engineer type, they make lots of details. We should communicate to people in a way that resonates with them. So I might say, you know, um, Jordan, for example, if you, as we proceed with the exam and the discussion, are, do you want all the details? Does that make you more comfortable? Or are you better if we just get to the point? How, how would you like us? Point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, there you are. And, and then I'd say, okay, great. And then will you do me a favor? We're going to really just get to the point with everything. If we're moving through the information too fast or there's more that you you need to know, would you mind just stopping me and letting me know? Yeah, I'd love to do that. <laughs> All right. Okay, right. So now I give him, I'm giving him complete control of the process, which is what he wants anyway. Yeah. And, and the, the, the last thing I really want to know is, is there anything we need to know um, to, about how to manage your care that would make things more comfortable for you? And this is an important one I want to ask, especially because if I have somebody in the chair that's 40 years old and has had two or three other dentists in their lifetime, or even one other dentist, I want to know what they want to be different. And I'm not going to ask them what yeah. they didn't like at their previous dentist, because nobody wants to tell you that. I want to know what they want to be different. And I might even say sometimes, you know, I know that it sounds like you've, um, you know, you've had dentistry, you've, you've been to a number of practices. Um, is there anything that worked really well for you in your past care that you want to make sure we provide? And then I might say, is there anything that you'd like to be different? You know, we want to make sure that your care here is well suited, well suited to how you like to receive care. And so if you have, you know, five, 10 minutes, because for, for your type A people, this might be five minutes. You know, for other people, it might be 10 minutes. And, and I'm willing to see if you have an engineer type that needs a lot of work, if you spend 20 minutes on this conversation where they're telling you things, that's going to change your practice. And, and you have to be listening in stillness. And there's a, it's, that's different than listening to talk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, helps, a, that, that helps a great deal in allowing the patient to buy you than, rather than buying what you're about to present to them. You know, right. <laughs> so. so, you know, I mean, you know, just the two things we've talked about already this morning about greeting patients, 
question about the needs once assessment. You know, I practice a practices that just implement those things really well and it benefits them and you enjoy your work more yeah absolutely yeah and i think just understanding you know what the needs and wants are that's so important in in any type of business especially uh, dentistry you know which is a big time relationship business so i think it's critical to really take that time and, and understand the needs and the wants of of the patients and it's it's going to be easier for the practice working with those patients once you get to that step in my opinion and then you can tie to it so like after i hear all that i'm going to give them feedback here's what i'm hearing i want to make sure i heard that correctly yeah. is what i call demonstrative listening right not only do you need to listen well you need to demonstrate that you're you're listening and then later when you're talking about treatment, you tie back to that information. You know, so when a patient, let's say, for example, has three MODBL, STXUYZ fillings with open margins and pins and, you know, big overhangs or whatever, whatever else, you know, if one of the things they told you is that they travel a lot and having an emergency is a real problem for them, then when we talk about that care for the crowns, you know, removing those fillings in the crowns and say, well, you know, I might say, well, Ben, I know you said you travel a lot and you're, you speak professionally. And so um, any, something like this that could potentially create an emergency and affect your, your prof professional ability, you know, we need to fix that. So that's not a problem for you when you're on the road. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you really tailor the information to the needs of the patient. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. So I got another question for you, Lorraine. Yeah. Um, so what, when patients are overwhelmed by fees, how would you address that? <laughs> well, you know, do you want to guess what the most common phrase people say right before they have a buy a large unexpected purchase? Do you want to guess what that is? Um, oh, oh crap! <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We hear these things. Actually, I almost picture people with that. You know what a quotation bubble is, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Like in cartoons, you know, the quotation bubble with people speaking. I almost picture people that their quotation bubble when they hear this stuff is no, 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 no. I can't think about this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's what happens, you know, and it doesn't mean that we're never going to do the work. Well, we get thrown off because the most common phrase people say when they hear these kinds of things is, I, there's no way I can afford this, or that's way too much money, you know, and we think that actually really means something, and really what it is, it's just an emotional response. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, how many things, if you really think to your own self, how many things you bought where you said, I can't afford this? The last car we bought, three days before we purchased it, I said, no way we can afford a car right now. Three days later, when I was headed to the dealership, I said, there's no way we're spending more than $20,000. 15 minutes into the dealership, I was fine with $25,000. <laughs> so these are things we do. And I, and I think most other businesses understand that when people hear about an unexpected uh, expense, their first reaction is an emotional reaction. And so one of the things that we do is we try to problem solve it for people with information. And one of the things you, when I coach, I always say, we never give information to emotion. So, so someone that's in, they're not practically saying, I've, I've analyzed my budget, so I know what I can afford. They're in emotion, right? Yeah. You say, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can afford this. I'm not going to start talking about financing or anything else. I'm going to say, you seem surprised. I'm going to respond, but I'm not going to stop their problem solving. I look at when people hear these things, it's like, like if, picture if we, you had gears in, in your brain, right? And so when people talk, they problem solve. Those gears are spinning. So I'm not going to say anything to problem solve a money situation until I really know it's a money situation, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Perfect sense. So it's, you know, I might say you seem surprised or it feels to me like you're overwhelmed. And if they go, oh my goodness, I am. And then I would say, are you overwhelmed by the amount of treatment you need or the fee to get you what you want? What, what's overwhelming you? And if you're quiet, sometimes people say, they just sit there for a minute and you got to leave the pause. And they might say, oh, I knew it was going to be a lot. I knew it was going to be a lot. Okay. 
So does knowing the fee change the result you want? And I've had people stop for a minute and look at me and say, no, but can't you do it cheaper? <laughs> that's a good right? question. Yeah. Because they're not, they're, not, they're not thinking. That's that's what I know. They're not thinking. They're just in reaction. Yeah. And my answer would be, if you want blah, 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 whatever they said they wanted, then this is the way to manage it. If you're willing to compromise on what you want, we can look at other treatment alternatives. Mm-hmm. And I've had people look at me and say, no, I don't want to compromise. Well, then this is the fee that you're left with. And then you just, you're quiet enough. And I've, I've said to people, how would you like me to help you? I don't start in payment plans. And I am surprised at how many times people get their checkbook out. So I'm going to give you a quick little story. I remember, you know, years ago I had a hard time with this because I projected my personal income issues on everybody else. I was young, you know, I was driving an old beat up pickup truck. I mean, I was poor. And, um, and so um, I had a boss that said, you know, one of the things he said to me, I still remember this. He said, you could be really good at this, Lorraine, if you could just shut your mouth. <laughs> still working on that. Still working but on that. He, he was direct. He was great. And he said, do you know people sell Mercedes, a Mercedes quicker than you sell a crown? You're so excited about dentistry that you scare them with all these details. And I was. I was really excited about dentistry. And he said, and then you feel bad for their money, and you don't even know about their money. And so he said, I'm going to help you. And so we had a gentleman. um, He was coming up, and he said, now, I know you worry about everybody's money. Just to let you know, he owns a major hotel in in this city's skyline. Okay? So quit worrying about his money. Um, He's going to come up to the desk. I want you to do exactly what I tell you to do. And I'm going to stand around the corner and help you. You get what I mean by that, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. He was going to stand around the corner and make sure I didn't say anything he didn't want me to say. So <laughs> the gentleman came up, and I looked at him, and I said, um, hello, Mr. Jones, how are you? You know, quick little warm-up. And I said, I understand that what you'd like to do is you want to fix your smile so it looks great again. You want to fix the teeth so you can bite and chew comfortably. And when you go to a restaurant, you're comfortable eating anything you want. And he said, yes. And I said, and the way we're going to do that is the blah, 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 with the crowns, whatever. It's really short. And he said, yes. And I said, the fee for what you want will only be 15000 I was required to look at him and smile. That's what I said. The fee for what you want. Now, bring for me, because I was doing exactly what I was told. This man looked at me and he said, wow, that's expensive. <laughs> and I wish I could portray, you know, the angst, the visual angst he went through as he was looking at me. And when he said, wow, that's expensive, I wanted to say, excuse me, but you're not not following the script and I need to go back and ask the doctor what to say next. (laughs) Prior to that, I would have gone on about what a great lab we use, what a great clinician, blah, 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 blah. I couldn't say anything. So I just looked at him and said, it is. I thought, I'm not going to debate with him. He thinks it's expensive. And that was when I realized, so what? So what if it's expensive? We all have expensive things we want, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not necessarily a negative judgment. And so I just said, it is. And so he's saying, wow, it's really expensive. I said it is. And then it was quiet. And I saw him looking at the counter, tapping his foot, thinking. It was a longer silence. And then he looked at me and he said, Lorraine, I only brought 4000 with me today. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Here I'm remaining 11000 when I come in for the treatment. I said, sure, we can do that for you. Yeah. So it was a lesson for me, you know. I had never thought about it in that perspective. And it was interesting. Prior to that, I had said to the doctor, there's no way people would pay for dentistry before it's done. And so that was where I really learned. People have these emotional reactions to money, and it doesn't mean they don't want the treatment. It doesn't mean they don't value it. Our problem is we jump in and start talking too much. Yeah. That, that, is, yeah. that is a sales and, and I was I'm, just going to say, I'm not afraid to say this in dentistry. People are so afraid of the word sales, but I will tell you that is an old <laughs> sales <laughs> technique that is often overlooked in every industry. And it's an old saying that he who speaks first, he or she who speaks first loses. And what that, what they mean by that is exactly what you said, Lorraine, people will respond emotionally to price objections or their, their first objection to price is always a shock. But when you let them settle and come to their senses, they'll, they'll start to realize and have all these, th- these thoughts go in their mind about, it is my fault that got me here in terms of all the dentistry that I need. 
but I need it. And, yeah. and, so and just let me talk about this. I want to talk about the sales things for a minute because you know I think you're right. Yeah, let's do it. Right. So and so I'll say a couple things. Number one, we are promoting a product that brings people life and health, and That's we should right. never forget that. That's right. And and for me, you know, I've been blessed to work with some of the great practitioners in the industry, and and I see these people who go to them, and they're doing involved comprehensive care, and they weren't in a car accident, and it wasn't because they had a congenital deformity. It was because we were patching things up, we didn't get them excited about care, and so here they are now, you know, a middle-income person mortgaging their house to find, because they made themselves, they became a dental cripple. And so I think, you know, I've had people who are uncomfortable promoting fluoride treatments, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, somebody can't afford, if somebody has a tight budget, they need to be treated conservatively. That means we need to get them in on a regular basis and we need to treat things before they become a problem. And, and so, you know, and, and in terms of sales, so I'm going to give you what somebody, I used to, I got uncomfortable with sales at one point. I had a coach was helping me and I was never uncomfortable in a dental practice. I loved what I did. Um, but you know, when it came to my own company and promoting, I was suddenly having a hard time with it and I'm working with a coach and he said, you know, we talked through some things and he said, you know, Lorraine, you're uncomfortable with cheesy sales techniques. That's what you're uncomfortable with. And he said, what you're promoting is, you know, teaching people and helping people bring their patients to health. And that's something you should be very proud of. Um, and you should want more people to want to be able to help their patients to get help, which is true, right? We, we're supposed to bring them to help. And he said, sales is one of the most honorable professions that anyone can participate with. I agree. Now my oh yeah, I agree too. Right, but, but my craft detector went up. I'm like, come <laughs> on. And, and, and he said, you know, really. And he said, let me help you understand the definition of sales with honor, and that is learning about your customer, understanding your customer, and helping them find clearly define their challenges and come to good solutions with that. And, you know, if you're really good at this, you can be present with somebody that's going through some uncomfortable thought processes to solve their problem. You can be present with them, not bias them, help them, and help them come to terms with what, what they have to deal with. And if you don't have a solution, a great salesperson finds someone else that does. We are here to help people solve problems and facilitate them through uncomfortable situations. And if you look at it, you know, sales, like, you know, anybody that has children lives and breathes in sales, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get yeah. my 15 and 16-year-old to be excited about education and the educational, what the possibilities of that will do to their life. And frankly, they're not thinking like a 40-year-old. So that's a sales job. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you said, you used a term that um, he who speaks first Loses, loses, right? Mm -hmm. So let me change that phrase a little bit. One more in value-driven communications where we care more about the other person's success than our own discomfort. And I want to say this. This is really important. As healthcare providers, we need to care more about the success of our patients than our own discomfort being with them as they negotiate through difficult decisions. That's right. So when we care about that, um, it's not about winning or losing. It's about if you, if the patient trusts you and values you enough to open up, you will know how to help them better. That's right. If I too fast, too quickly, I'm giving you information that I want you to know instead of information that you will choose that you need to make a better decision. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. And that's how I view that statement. He, he or she who speaks first loses. It's, it's, right. it's more so about finding a win-win situation to help the person that you're speaking with overcome their own emotional objections about the, the care that they need. They need the care. If they don't, if they don't proceed with the care that you recommended, we all know that in the future it's going to result in uh, other problems that could possibly be far more expensive than the than what they're dealing with at the time. Um, Lorraine, this is awesome information. 
we we appreciate you being on our podcast today, and we want to do another one with you. Unfortunately, we yes. we don't have enough time. You know, our tape is uh, limited in terms of um, what we can produce on each episode. But would you be willing to come back on another episode in the future? I would love that. That would be great. Another area that I wanted to speak with you about, because you're an expert at it, is eliminating the insurance-driven mentality. And we kind of talked about that earlier today in terms of gaining that relationship of trust with the patients and then having some savvy when it comes to communicating with the patients, or at least a process in which you can help patients overcome objections with regards to price, the needs, wants assessment, and focusing on that. But I'd like to spend some time with you a little bit more on the insurance-driven mentality. And let's go ahead and schedule that for the near future. But for the time being, I would love for you to share your contact information for those that are, that are listening that may have questions or that may want to contact you. And I'm going to give a little pitch for Lorraine. I've known Lorraine for a number of years. Out of all the folks that I know that do any kind of management consulting or coaching, Lorraine is a true mentor. She, as, as evident with what she shared with us today, there is a lot more information that she knows, uh, keys, tips, and tricks on how to help you improve your practice in small ways that will help boost your income in big ways. So Lorraine, do you mind sharing your contact information? I'd love to. Um, I can be reached either by phone, either through the business line, uh, 636-273-9500. Again, 636-273-9500. Your clients can feel free to call my cell. Uh, I travel. Sometimes it's a good way to reach me, which is 314-304-3176. Or by email, Lorraine, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E at goothdentalconsulting.com. You can also contact me through my website, and I will make an offer to any of your your clients. Um, I provide what I call a virtual cup of coffee, right? So I have people sometimes I'm not working with. They call me. Um, we spend some time. We spend half an hour, 45 minutes, talk about whatever their concern is, and, and they go their way. And, you know, I have a standard to this. This is just for you to have some help to bounce an idea off of. I will not talk to you about working with you. It's not a sales call. In fact, if you want to talk to me about working with me, that has to be a separate phone call from the virtual coffee. So your clients can feel very safe that they won't be pressured at that time. <laughs> I appreciate that. All they have to do is go to the website and sign up for that and, you know, we'll schedule that. I know, you know, I I watch clinicians who really, really care about their clients and they care about their team and they struggle with how to make issues happen. And I, you know, I certainly know that this is tough for people sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, what you shared today is valuable. And I think if a lot of doctors implement what you talked about, they will definitely be better off. And uh, I heard a rumor that if they, if they log on and chat with you on that virtual cup of coffee after 6 p.m., it's called virtual cup of whiskey. Is that right? <laughs> nice. You know, I, have no, I have no control over whatever it takes to get you through. <laughs> well, Lorraine, you are a wonderful person. Thank you so much for taking time and sharing some awesome nuggets with our listeners today. Are there any closing thoughts, anything that you'd like to close on with regards to what we've been talking about? Oh, that's a big question. Um, you know, I think I would encourage any of your clients that are looking at improving their practice to come join us when we talk about the insurance verbiage. I, I just I say that we are teaching our patients how to use insurance as the determinant in our relationships, and we've got to stop doing that. We don't work for them. That's right. And, and so yeah. part of the reason the insurance companies have beat us to death is because we participated in the beating and set them up to do it. So we've got to stop. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's time for change in the industry. And that's why we've titled this Say No to PPOs. We recognize that you can't run away from the insurance problems, but you can deal with them. You can't run away from participation. Many can, uh, but we can deal with them. We, we can definitely find ways and solutions. We can come across experts like you, Lorraine to help provide tips and nuggets and hopefully a lot of our of these clientele that should be hiring you should get a hold of you but Lorraine thank you again for being with us today we, it was a pleasure it yes, was thanks, great Lorraine. and that's it folks another exciting episode in the can we extend our gratitude and thank you to you our listeners without you 
our podcast wouldn't be successful. It most certainly wouldn't be where it is today. We just recently started this podcast and we've already received thousands of downloads on most of our episodes. A small way that you can show your appreciation for what we do is to tell somebody about our podcast. You can also share any of our episodes on your Facebook page or other social media, or even like us on iTunes. Again, thank you for your support. And until next time, may you find success in navigating the most challenging insurance problems within your dental practice. Cheers. Dancing in the moonlight, everybody.